The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 102 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can go to online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get, their, and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and to get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. So last week, folks, we had Vice President of the North American Cybersecurity Practice of Capgemini, Mr. Drew Moorfield, on the show. Man, I got to tell you, I loved having Drew on. I've known him for a really long time. He's a fantastic salesperson. And man, he gave you an inside view into the challenging world of cybersecurity sales. He went through his path of sales to delivery, the importance of recovery, and advice for anyone getting into the sales game, and how trust is the most important thing to preserve to be successful. And I got to tell you, as someone who buys security tools and interacts with salespeople all the time, trust is key. So if you're interested in cybersecurity sales or just want to gain a new appreciation for these professionals who are in the grind every day, I got to tell you, folks, this is the episode for you. If you missed last week's episode, don't sweat it. Just go to your favorite playback medium and you can catch it anytime right at the top of the TF7 radio episode library. That's Inside the World of Cybersecurity Sales with Vice President of the North American Cybersecurity Practice of Capgemini, Drew Moorfield. Last week's episode, that's episode 101 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sends you the link to the episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. Just go to our new Task Force 7 TF7 Radio site, www.tf7radio.com, and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage, and you can find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our, global, our list of our guest lists, which is the most impressive list of some of the most cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section as well, where you can check out all the latest cybersecurity news on Task Force 7 Radio. We're on 11 different playback mediums, folks. We made it easy for you to find them all. Just hit the subscribe button at the top right of the homepage, and you see the entire selection of playback mediums. And most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 Radio website, which is the best way to stay connected to this TF7 family. So check us out, folks, www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience, 24-7-365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. 
Well, folks, we have another informative show for you this week. We have global consultant and fintech advisor Dorothy Hill on. We're excited about this one, folks. Dorothy has been an advisor to companies including financial technology, fintech for cybersecurity, data privacy, anti-fraud, corruption, money laundering, and suspicious activity reports. She's a former McKenzie consultant based in Europe where she's worked in, and she worked at Goldman Sachs for six years, based in Germany, Switzerland, Japan, Hong Kong, France, UK, she's been all over, folks. She's been an independent consultant since 2014, and she's fluent in German and French. She's a member of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, as well as the, as well as the Risk Management Association. She served on the board of the Dartmouth Club of New York since 2018, and she presents on cybersecurity and regulatory landscape and dark web to executives, managers, and customers of Fortune 500 companies, as well as to law enforcement nationally. You can catch her anytime. She's available for bookings in 2020. It's my pleasure to introduce global consultant and fintech advisor, Dorothy Hill. Dorothy, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Thank you. Good morning. It's great to be here. Awesome. Listen, you've had a really cool career. You know, you span the globe. You're consulting at all different levels. You know, you started out, you know, you worked on Wall Street most of your career. How did you get involved in cybersecurity? Oh, thank you. I worked for large financial firms, including Goldman Sachs. And while I was on assignment in Tokyo, we were building uh, an interface to some of the fixed income trading systems, such as uh, exchanges. And during that process, uh, it was a very rigorous build in terms of standards uh, I learned a lot about data security, uh, and then during business school at NYU Stern, I decided to take a double major, a second major, excuse me, in information technology. Uh, and at that time, cybersecurity wasn't really a coin term in the industry, but uh, there was a lot of focus on data security, uh, encryption, and building firewalls. Yeah, the, the, fun, the fun stuff, right? The fun stuff. <laughs> Yes. So just for the audience, you know, just we'd like to level set here on TF7 Radio a little bit. Um, not all of our folks are inside. We have a lot of business folks. Just, just from your perspective, how are, how are you defining you know cybersecurity? Sure. So uh, cybersecurity is a one trillion dollar uh, global industry. Uh, it historically has fallen under the category of information technology or information security. Uh, it's really the state of being protected against uh, criminal and/or unauthorized use or access to electronic data, uh, and all of the protective measures taken by companies, governments, nonprofits, and other entities to achieve this. A trillion dollars is a lot of money. Right? Yes, remember, indeed. You know, it's amazing. You know, when I, when I was in the Secret Service and we were targeting, you know, the top you know, few hundred uh, elite cyber criminals in the world, you think there's only a few hundred folks out there that are driving a trillion dollar market, um, at least in the financial cybercrime space. It's, a, it's, you know, staggering to think about. Um, you know, as you, you know, as you're advising companies, you know, you see the, the different levels of talent and the different cultures of companies, you know, can you just describe the, the current job market for folks who are trying to break into cyber and what those careers look like? Sure, absolutely. It, it's actually quite broad and, and people are amazed when they learn uh, especially those who don't have a technical slant but want to work in the industry. So really the core cybersecurity uh, are the information technology uh, 
professionals, for example, the coders, programmers, uh, the ethical hackers, the penetration testers, as we say, pen testers, uh, the people who write, you know, Python, who develop security systems and literally write the software to protect the data. Uh, but cybersecurity goes well beyond that. So think about, for example, insurance companies that write cybersecurity contracts for companies, also the lawyers uh, and others who work in compliance, uh, those who work across the multitude of uh, Regulatory agencies, all of those individuals uh, work under the umbrella of cybersecurity. Uh, they each wear a different hat. That's probably the best way to think about it. It is an incredible industry with a lot of opportunity, and many universities, both at the undergraduate and graduate level, are creating uh, new cybersecurity programs as we speak. Yeah, I find it fascinating. You know, my, my path into cybersecurity was through law enforcement, right? And I, I didn't have a technology background really, you know, as a kid um, and kind of found my way into it, which, which I, you know, when I talk to folks, I, I always like to tell them that there's something for, for everybody in cyber, right? You, you know, everybody's got a role, uh, whether it's finance, legal. Uh, we've done tons of training for, for lawyers and CFOs and you know, government officials. And so it, I find it fascinating, you know, as an industry, I think people focus heavily on the, the bad guy component of this, right? And the adversary component and the te technical component. And they forget that this is such a huge market where anybody can be a part of it, right? And so if you're, I was mentoring someone in business school, um, you know, a couple, couple months ago, and I'm like, but just focus on you know, the industry, don't focus on technical or non-technical, right? And I think that's such great, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're highlighting that part of it because um, I think sometimes cybersecurity can be intimidating for folks um, because they think they have to be technical to, to be in this game. Um, and, and I just don't, uh, I don't think that that's the case. Um, so, so I want to ask you another question. You know, as companies continue to invest in cybersecurity, you know, what kind of skills or credentials do you think they, they require to kind of get in at the entry level and then maybe even as they progress to, you know, throughout their career? Can you kind of weigh in on your, your experience there? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so uh, many people who uh, enter uh, into technology or even working, for example, for a bank within the technology department, uh, they have either attained certain accreditation uh, and certifications or the company may sponsor them. So, for example, the CISSP, uh, the Certified Information Systems Security Professional, that's a quite common one that's offered by the ISC2, uh, which is a consortium. Uh, there's also, for example, the CEH certification. Uh, that's the Certified Ethical Hacker. Uh, that's administered by the EC Council for e-commerce consultants. Uh, certified Information Security Manager, CISM. Uh, there's also a myriad of other certifications offered by uh, SANS, S-A-N-S, which is a well-known organization. A certified Cloud Security Professional is a growing one due to the migration of data to the cloud. Uh, that's offered, for example, again, by ISC2. Uh, there is also the certification at the highest level of an organization called the CISO, the Certified, uh, excuse me, the Chief Information Security Officer, the CISO, as they often call it. I've heard CISO, but I believe CISO is the common pronunciation. Uh, and that is actually a role that is mandated 
in some cases by the regulator. So, for example, New York State Department of Financial Services Part 500 regulation requires banks with licenses in the state of New York to have a CISO, uh, but not just banks. Uh, that would include cryptocurrency companies such as uh, uh, Coinbase and any other entity that is licensed in the state of New York. Yeah, I find it fascinating, you know, for folks, you know, they, when they when we get to the certifications, I mean, there's, 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 you know, some really good ones, right? The ones you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, but I do find that it's interesting where people, I think, are assessing certifications without a lot of guidance in terms of where in their career they need which one. Um, and, you know, I, I said, when I, you know, my last company, um, my staff would come to me and say, I want to go get a CISSP. Okay, cool. I like the drive passion. Now, how is that going to help you as an analyst, right? And, and I don't think people truly have a great understanding of what each one can do for them. Um, so I'd love to work with you at some point to kind of help get that message out because I feel like we've got to get folks dialed into why they need each cert, when they need it, um, but they're certainly valuable. And, um, you know, it's great that you're highlighting here for, for folks. Do you see a disconnect between folks as they're trying to navigate their career that way? Or how, what have you experienced? Uh, so I've worked with uh, people from uh, various levels in their careers. I've worked with people right out of college who uh, studied information technology and cybersecurity, uh, who uh, prefer to work in consulting so that they have uh, you know, a wide range and diverse set of projects for clients, uh, and others who just really prefer to be, you know, in the weeds uh, to set up uh, data structures. Uh, to help banks uh, transform uh, their data sets, and, and even, for example, work in a you know work on the cybersecurity component of creating a data lake for a large organization. Uh, so they uh, find that over time, uh, you know, they're working with people of of various levels of experience, and the people who have been in the organization for say 20, 30 years, uh, who just you know, naturally can can set up a, a data structure in cybersecurity and, and can teach them about encryption. Often a lot of the training is on the job. Yes, I think it's great to have certification and it certainly helps people to garner uh, a first interview. Uh, but really where the rubber hits the road is uh, how can these individuals think in a multidisciplinary way and an analytical way? Uh, but yes, often those uh, certifications do come in very handy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great insight, man. Where the rubber beats the road, right? You got to have that experience. Okay, folks, we've got to transition into a commercial break here. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number seven, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, global consultant and fintech advisor, Dorothy Hill.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem superconnector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S I N E T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, global consultant and fintech advisor, Dorothy Hill. You know, Dorothy, I, I find it fascinating when I talk to Fortune 500 companies, you know, the different levels of expertise. And, you know, I always try to find different ways to kind of communicate what we're trying to, you know, to get at. Like, what, what examples of cybercrime cases do you use? You know, which ones are the ones that stick out for you that help you get the message across to, to executives? Sure, absolutely. So a big a seismic shift uh, in the industry, especially within financial services, has been to take cybersecurity 
uh, as a type of risk to the fore. That means when we uh, structure the risk controls for an organization as consultants, uh, we really uh, make more of an effort to train uh, and uh, show examples to those professionals on the front line that is client-facing and government regulatory-facing individuals uh, to really drive home the importance of cybersecurity. So in effect, you know, people are wearing their, need to wear their cyber hat every day. And I'll give you an example. Uh, so when boards of major 500 companies go through annual training, uh, cybersecurity is now part of that. And it's not really, it's not glossed over. Uh, they do delve into uh, the examples of what has happened to other companies. Uh, and there are people like David S. Lick, who's the Chief Information Security Office, or CISO, as I mentioned before, at Starbucks, uh, who has urged uh, their directors to hold uh, themselves accountable, uh, not just you know, the security team, but that the business executives, those, in, those people in sales, marketing, finance, operations, you know, business development strategy, again, wearing that cybersecurity hat because with an increased awareness uh, and fiduciary care uh, of the data and the security processes that people, including, including employees and consultants as well as third-party vendors, uh, must comply with, uh, that means that you have, uh, on the whole, a much more a, a rigorous uh, and stronger defense uh, to ward off cyber attacks and breaches, both from the outside and from internal, uh, what we call internal fraud or internal data breaches as well. So you highlighted something I find interesting, right? The, the top-down culture of security, right? It's got to be driven from the top and socialized. And, and, and uh, I think, you know, that really started to trigger... Um, or I, you know, I want to get your take on it. You know, was, was NIST a, real, a big player in being able to drive that top-down you know, you know, motivation, right? You know, security's got to be done from the top-down, and you've got to create a culture of security from the executive level down. Um, I really feel like that started to happen you know, when the cybersecurity framework came out. But can you just kind of dive into a little bit you know, into NIST and just where cybersecurity standards kind of fit into this? Sure, absolutely. So NIST, being the National Institute of Standards and Technology, uh, plays a major role in many of the cybersecurity and information technology standards and regulations uh, that have been created. And one example, as I mentioned before, is for New York State uh, Department of Financial Services, Part 500. Uh, there are also many other cybersecurity regulations that are issued at uh, the state level. Uh, and NIST is really the standard. Uh, a big part of cybersecurity standards, however, uh, emanates, or, or I should say originates, excuse me, from the U.S. Department of Defense, and specifically the Navy. Uh, the Navy historically, with its global footprint and operations around the globe, uh, has been an, an incredible uh, source of uh, data standards uh, and security measures that have been adopted by the private sector as well. So, so you touched on the, you know, the CISO role a little bit um, and kind of how the CISO over at Starbucks is, you know, you know sounds like doing a great job of, you know, getting that top-down culture driven throughout the organization. But can you define, you know, can you give the audience a little more insight into the role of the CISO? Sure, absolutely. See, but the CISO really sets the tone uh, for the enterprise or company. 
in terms of the importance of, you know, of wearing that cybersecurity awareness hat uh, and also for ensuring that people uh, follow the proper protocols uh, and measures that's part of annual training or it's even done on an ad hoc basis, and I'll give you an example. Uh, the CISO will lead the team uh, for a financial institution uh, to send uh, basically uh, mock or pretend uh, emails to individuals. So, for example, you know, you're, you're Jenny Smith and you work in marketing and receive an email that a UPS box has been delivered, a package. So you have to you know, click on that link to get information on where to pick it up. So uh, Jenny historically had clicked on the link and the link opens uh, to virus and if the company's firewalls and cybersecurity measures are not adequate, you know, that could easily launch uh, some type of malware or a virus on the system. Now, uh, many people who work for banks and larger institutions who undergo this ad hoc testing will know not to click on that link uh, and to instead uh, click on the link just above it that is to report suspicious email. Uh, and they do this on a regular basis. And actually, they're really good at it. I've seen, for example, uh, an email where a secretary of a CEO was asked to click on a link because the CEO was away at a business conference and the hotel was offering a free upgrade to an oceanfront suite. And it was Friday. It was late in the day. Uh, and it was, you know, to trick, to see if they could trick the assistant to the CEO uh, to click on it. So, yes, they, CISO is not just uh, leading exercises to ensure the safety of data protection, but also to work with the board, to work with all of the C-level executives, and then also to oversee the, the large and sometimes very large number of third-party vendors in technology, consultants, software providers, uh, penetration testers, and then external consultants uh, for their cybersecurity budget, which for some institutions can run in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, it's a very interesting role. It's, uh, you've got to be extremely well-rounded um, and cover a lot of different ground. You know, and, and, and you've got to be able to manage a really diverse group of, of people, technical, non-technical, um, and up and down. You know, we, we often read about like white hats and black hats and gray hats, et cetera, you know, kind of what, what do those terms mean within cyber and, and, and ag? Sure. So a lot of this, as I mentioned before, it really comes out of the military. Uh, historically, when we think about, you know, 1960s, 70s with large servers that literally take up <laughs> entire rooms and then they transition to uh, various, you know, server protocols, uh, and then obviously the massive expansion of the internet, uh, what this means is that uh, is all that data flowing and uh, stored in the cloud especially, uh, companies have to pay attention to how, uh, the how the data is archived and we talk about data in motion, data at rest, but it has really led to an expansion of a very interesting niche of cybersecurity professionals called like the color hats. So there's a white hat, gray hat, black hat, purple hat, <laughs> red hat. Um, and then the distinction is really like the red hats, they're the ones who uh, have an NDA and non-disclosure agreement, uh, usually working on behalf of a government entity where 
they would be a white hat, gray hat, black hat, or purple hat. Uh, the black hat, as we hear that often in you know TV and Hollywood, is is very much what it states is a is a black you know working in the shadows is sort of the villain, uh, the person who uh, has malicious intent. Uh, a gray hat and white hat are often categorized as quote unquote the good guys. Uh, a gray hat would be a computer hacker or computer security expert. Um, who sometimes violates laws or typical ethical standards, but does not have malicious intent. And so someone who, for example, who may be working on an investigation of, you know, a drugs trafficking ring or uh, a child trafficking ring uh, would, would be a gray hat. So they sort of have to go over the line. They have to go into the dark web, for example, to to obtain information needed for that investigation. Um, and then the white hat is often considered, you know, those are the good guys. When you hear, you know, someone's a white hat, uh, they're the ones who are investigating, you know, government corruption, money laundering, uh, massive global uh, cross-border uh, laundering, trafficking of arms, uh, drugs, et cetera. So that, that's, that's really the classification. Now, someone actually should put together kind of a color coded grid to uh, to teach people. And I'm sure that students at the graduate and undergraduate levels learn about the different types of hats, but there are many common misunderstandings of what they mean. So so where do where do gray hats kind of fit in the bad you know we talk about bad actors, right? Are gray hats mm -hmm. still in the good guy area or are they leaning into the bad? Like is it is that the the dilemma here? We don't know and we, you know they could flip at any moment to go from one side to the other side. Uh, yes, well, I mean, they, it's interesting because government, the government with Department of Justice has prosecuted uh, gray hats in the past who have access to databases but do so, uh, you know, illegally. Uh, it's, they, what they really do is they go in, they try to identify or discover uh, vulnerabilities. They, a white hack would break into a system and network at the request of their employer or with explicit permission. Uh, and then, you know, a gray hat uh, would, for example, uh, discover the same vulnerability, uh, but instead of explaining, you know, how that exploit works, um, they may charge a fee uh, for, for fixing it. Uh, and then one of the arguments that people use, why, which is why really gray hat is indeed gray, is, you know, do gray hats violate the law in an effort to improve uh, to research vulnerabilities and improve overall, you know, security, and are they being are they authorized to do so? So it really falls within the law then uh, to uh, determine what the outcome would be. Really, we're, th we're thinking gray hats kind of fit in that bucket of um, they probably have really good intentions, but maybe went about it a little wrong, um, mm -hmm. and they're still trying to navigate and sign up to the up to the lawyers to figure out if they violated anything or if their, their intent was really malicious or violated any rights. So I get it. Cool. Um, yes. You mentioned encryption a, a fair amount as we've been chatting. You know, can you, you know, kind of break that down for the audience and how, how has encryption evolved, you know, over the years? Mm -hmm. Sure, absolutely. So we think about, we go back to really, gosh, even like World War One, and then World War Two. Uh, you know, you, people watch the movies about encryption and breaking the code. Uh, often it's within, you know, military context. Uh, so in the 1970s and 1980s, many of the large technology companies like IBM, you know, were working in 
on encryption uh, over the years uh, with access to databases and to specific data sets. Uh, the encryption methodologies uh, really uh, became more sophisticated. Uh, people have heard about 128-bit, 256-bit, uh, and then the standards that banks use uh, at the ATMs and to ensure the highest level of financial transaction security. Uh, so in a very simple form, you know, encryption is, you know, you hold one key, I hold the other part of a key like a match, uh, and it's only when those come together that the data can be released. Uh, encryption has taken on uh, new levels of complexity due to blockchain developments uh, and also the increased sophistication of, of coding. Uh, so definitely encry encryption could be a cybersecurity, you know, category in and of itself, and it's a very fascinating part of you know, data security. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, right? We get Tom Pager, who's a, a guest, you know, host on this show and a frequent, frequent guest as well. Um, you know, he works at, a, a, at BitGo. We're always, he's always talking blockchain and, and cold encryption, cold storage, and, you know, the different types. Of, and it's amazing how it's just shifted over, over the years, um, you know, do me a favor with, um, you know, we talk a lot about risk here and, and vulnerability and the threats, you know, but can you just give your perspective on, on uh, risk and vulns and threats in the context of cyber? Mm -hmm. Sure, absolutely. And I'll kind of, I'll, I'll frame it uh, from a very simplistic uh, view because this is when I uh, really get into, you know, the training component, I often think, you know, what is a good way to communicate to people so when they walk away, they understand the levels. The easiest way to describe this is that the risk um, is, you can organize it really on what we call bad actors. Um, at the highest level, you have nation states uh, like China and Iran who literally pay individuals uh, in university and graduates to hack into systems of quote-unquote enemy. This is truly cyber warfare. Uh, warfare is not as we have known it historically. It's taken on uh, this entire, entirely new dimension of, of obtaining information and data. And we see that every day in the news, news headlines about you know, what's going on right now with Bleachbit and emails having gone missing and where the servers were. So that um, literally crosses country lines, jurisdictions. That's level one, the bad actors. Level two would be really be how the enterprise uh, and the risks that we face as a nation. The third uh, most common uh, risk area for us as a country is, is our energy grid, uh, where it's highly fragmented, uh, but obviously prone and to, to, a, to cyber attacks and, and constantly patching with a mishmash of archaic and more modern computer network second riskiest area riskiest area or highest area of risk in terms of cyber attacks being our healthcare network hospitals you know, doctors databases etc and first was the financial services system banks broker dealers asset managers uh, mutual fund managers etc uh, so one two three again financial services second uh, healthcare and then third energy and then the last layer, which is really where you have the lone wolves, that what we call, think about people who literally sit in the basement <laughs> or who hack or who try to hack, uh, those are the, uh, the single, what we call the individual hackers, the lone wolves. They operate sometimes on their own, 
Uh, other times they off operate within an organized group, uh, like a like a gang with sophisticated methods behind you know keyboards and massive monitors and communicate using encrypted sites like Tor and Onion level on the dark web. Uh, so those are really the areas of risk from uh, a global perspective. If we're talking about risk within an enterprise, you know, I, we would use a different model to analyze cybersecurity risk. How, how well are companies doing like the business impact assessment around cyber from your view? There's definitely a lot of catch up uh, due to recent regulations having been instituted like New York State and even on the data privacy side to ensure protection of uh, PII, personal identifiable information. Uh, many banks and institutions are uh, investing and continue to maintain compliance with GDPR, which is out of Europe, uh, California data privacy and other regulations. But it's really the smaller and medium-sized companies that you know struggle. Uh, they are unsure about which vendors to use to protect their data, um, how to implement training, and also, as I mentioned before, to ensure that their leadership and their board members truly understand um, the risks surrounding cybersecurity and potential data breaches. It's interesting you mentioned the small businesses. I, I always, I always. You know, I think there's a shift now, but I felt like years ago, companies were so concerned with, uh, you know, cybersecurity companies that were building technology to, to, to thwart these threats, you know, were in essence kind of overlooking the small, medium business market because they, you know, they wanted to sell to the Fortune 20, they wanted to sell the financial sector, folks to have more money and larger deals. But it's that softer target now that, you know, is continuously being attacked. Uh, we're seeing it, you know, with ransomware attacks all over the country, um, you know, municipalities. You know, we've got to continue to make that shift so that you know everyone can be protected, and we're we're only as a country or you know critical infrastructure only as good as our weakest links, right? So mm -hmm. I find that I find it interesting that we're starting to make that shift. Thank goodness. Um, you know, one of the things I I think is um, the nomenclature around cyber is interesting, right? We have incidents versus events. Um, and that triggers different, you know, responses in people's plan. But can, can you just describe for the audience, like, what's a cyber event and, and how are companies managing? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so a cyber event uh, it has, you know, various definitions. Uh, when we work, for example, within a financial institution, these are well-defined. Uh, and there's oft, often uh, a merger between the cyber event and a physical event that occurs. And I'll give you a, an example. Uh, I worked for a government entity in Virginia, and they had uh, a set of cybersecurity standards as well as physical standards. Uh, and in one case, uh, I heard an alarm go off. Someone had literally stepped outside of the building to smoke a cigarette and set off the alarm. Uh, and those of us who were working as consultants, you know, sort of scratched our head and said, well, first of all, you know, what is the implication for this? What is the consequence of this? And we then realized that the cybersecurity system that we were building for this government entity had to reflect physical events. So I'll give you that example. Let's say, for example, that it had not been an employee to had opened the door. It had been a breach from the outside. Immediately, people within uh, the physical security team 
corporate security and also within the cybersecurity team should have received an alert. Uh, and again, that is an example of merging your physical events with your cyber events. 9-11 is a great example of how the communication systems were disparate. They were on different protocols. There was no common, you know, communication channel for response. Uh, fast forward to 2019, uh, this is a very big area of focus and investment for companies uh, to institute uh, incident uh, monitoring. So really starts out, for example, with identifying the incident. First, you have to define it, right, before you can even identify it, categorize it. It has to be logged. Uh, it has to be investigated. There are people who literally investigate cybersecurity incidents. That's all they do for their job. <clears throat> and then they do what's called a, excuse me, RCA, a root cause analysis of that uh, incident. Uh, then there's an escalation procedure and to ensure that senior managers and all parties who need to be informed are informed appropriately and on a timely basis. And then there's what's called remediation. And so the remediation is often planned in advance. There are playbooks for different types of incidents and how to respond, how to remediate, and then they close those incidents. In some cases for banks, they are required to report certain incidents uh, to the respective regulator, and it must be done, for example, within 72 hours. So highly regulated industries like financial services and healthcare uh, do have a set of parameters and requirements uh, for disclosures of particular incidents. So have we gotten better in information sharing, you know, since this, uh, you know, as we've evolved here? What's your take on that? Uh, yes. And in general, I'd say for the largest banks within the U.S. financial services uh, system, such as J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, uh, they second a number of people every year to a center in Virginia uh, that works very closely with our U.S. Uh, government agencies to share information about uh, attempted hacks and breaches, about the state actors that I mentioned before. Uh, when we get down to the medium-sized businesses, there's certainly uh, a lot of investment and analysis that's being done, and you know, consultants in cybersecurity and vulnerability assessments um, are doing very well. Uh, and not just the large companies like IBM, but the more specialized consultants as well. And then the biggest challenge, I'd say, is for the small businesses. A, um, it's difficult for them in terms of the investment. It's very costly. Uh, also, as, the, as I mentioned, the data get, is migrated to the cloud. Uh, they struggle with ensuring that uh, their third-party vendors that preserve their data, their customer information, uh, a lot of, you know, highly confidential information about people's assets, social security numbers, et cetera, uh, that, need, that need to be uh, secured uh, safely. Uh, that would be the biggest challenge. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce does a decent job working with other government agencies to help businesses, uh, but I believe we have a lot of work to be done, uh, and it's really about awareness, training, and implementation of those protocols. All right, Dorothy, I appreciate it. We have to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, global consultant and fintech advisor, Dorothy Hill. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, global consultant and fintech advisor, Dorothy Hill. Dorothy, you know, we talked a little bit at the break. Um, You know, we both have children, right? And we've got to do a lot to keep our kids safe. Um, You know, can you just kind of help the audience understand, like, what what can they do? You know, there's threats out there. We talk about the threats for the enterprise, but and the threats for our kids are are just as real. Uh, Can you just shine a little light on what you, how you're teaching people to protect uh, themselves and their personal lives? Sure, Absolutely. Uh, I spoke on this topic last year uh, to 
the clients of a major U.S. insurance company. Uh, we were meeting in Colorado, and uh, most of the questions during the Q&A were about protecting personal data and also helping their respective family members to be safe online. Uh, and so some of the areas and topics we covered included uh, different technology platforms like a family who all had iPhones uh, and iPads, how to protect uh, on top of that particular system, and then software providers that, and I obviously can't make recommendations of one software provider over another, uh, but some of the key concerns evolve around you know, online predators of children and then accessing children's personal information, stealing photos that you know, would be used and photoshopped from nefarious purposes. That's a big area of risk, obviously. So uh, I always tell people to, you know, go to their respective state attorney general. Uh, and I'll just give you one example. Uh, uh, Nebraska does a very good job. Uh, North Dakota as well, New York. And I'll just read one off of North Dakota. Uh, so, for example, never respond to an email asking you to confirm or verify your account information. Uh, another common cybersecurity scam, which is also done via the phone, is people call and, and, and ask for information about you know, tax payments that must be made to the IRS. Uh, also teaching children uh, to uh, set, up the, set up the highest level of data privacy uh, within a social media site, whether it's Facebook or Instagram. Uh, also ensuring that children are not on social media sites if they are below the minimum age. Uh, that is one area I know parents will often allow children to do so, and it's not a good idea because they've done a lot of studies uh, showing you know, the vulnerabilities of children who just don't have the respective um, knowledge and maturation uh, to to identify someone who may be a predator and, and, and asking for information. Uh, then and another one is practical. The advice like shred, use a shredder to shred your, your documents. Uh, you get one that has a credit card shredder. So, you're, you know, people do cut up their credit cards, obviously, but there are also other materials that need to be shred. Uh, also make sure that you use electronic shredder software. There are companies that will wipe out your hard drive when you go to recycle your laptop. Uh, and just being smart and cautious, like I used as an example in the corporate setting, don't click on that email if you're not sure. Uh, also to teach children uh, that uh, there are people online whose intentions um, are not good at all. Uh, and that uh, if a child has a question, it's better to say, you know, mom or dad, I am worried about this person trying to friend me. I don't know who he or she is. Uh, one strict rule that many families use is you're only allowed to friend people you know in person. Um, and that really helps to cut down on the predatory uh, risk. Yeah, that, that part's interesting, right? We talk a lot about trust in cybersecurity, but we also talk about you know, like last episode or two episodes ago, we talked about fake accounts on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, you know, and, and the need for uh, identity verification and social media uh, to, to elevate that trust. I think, you know, do you think if people had to give their real identity in, <clears throat> in social media platforms that there would be a reduction in um, online predators? Yes, but it's very hard to 
A, implement that, and B, enforce it. I mean, law enforcement is already uh, in a difficult position of not having enough uh, financial and technology resources. So social media companies, giants like Facebook and Instagram, you know, they increasingly use algorithms and rules to identify fake accounts. Uh, That's not going away. Uh, There are many criminal networks that set up entire networks of fake profiles and then friend each other and send messages. And it's really shocking to people to find out that there uh, is an entire, uh, you know, secondary or alternate identity that they have online. I, for example, someone set up a fake Facebook account in my name. I had to go in and report it to to Facebook and they did, somebody did the same thing on Twitter. And it took quite a bit of time for me to go to Twitter and escalate it send in the documents, uh, and to ensure that it was shut down. Again, uh, protecting your information online, uh, always monitoring, and then that that includes credit as well, using a credit monitoring system. And what what some people don't even know is that they can actually uh, institute a control such that no one is allowed to open credit in their name. Uh, Because when people do open credit in another person's name, it can take years to um, have that investigated, shut down, and then prosecuted. So always err on the side of caution. Uh, And then also I would recommend to families to use the software where people in the family can see where other members of the family are at all times. It just really helps to institute uh, trust, transparency, uh, and, uh, you know, to lower the overall risk profile. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't do enough. We can't do enough to protect our kids, right? It's safe. And I remember, you know, when I was on a, in law enforcement, I was a member of a, uh, a task force focused on disrupting sex offenders. <clears throat> and, you know, every time we'd interview a sex offender, I, I got to tell you, they, they were the only criminals that ever claimed to be born sick and that they would never be able to change. Right? So mm-hmm. that threat is not going away, folks, right? It's there. It's, yes. It's, it's sad. Um, you know, what, what are some other things we can, we can do uh, mm-hmm. to protect ourselves? Absolutely. Uh, communities, uh, chambers of commerce, elected officials uh, really need to bring cybersecurity to the fore. Uh, I'll give you one example. So the, like the sex offender database, level one sex offenders uh, are often uh, the people who go online uh, premeditated predatory behavior, you know, transferring uh, nefarious materials of a sexual nature to a minor. Uh, there may be another incident. Uh, they, the individual may have uh, pleaded down. Uh, so the uh, Megan's Law database, for example, which is run state by state, uh, may include information that is important for families to know, you know, who are the sex, sex offenders in the neighborhood and which of those uh, have a history of uh, like online predatory behavior towards children. The problem in our country, and we're actually working with a team to solve this, is that an entire set of that data for level one sex offenders is not made available to the public. They can only search, for example, by zip code and say, okay, there are 500, you know, level one sex offenders within this particular zip code without any information on the address and or the person's name. 
And as I mentioned before, you know, the, the cybersecurity and the cyber crime component of that is that, you know, people hide behind a monitor. They use a different name. They profess to be or pretend to be a minor when it's actually, you know, a 45-year-old man. Uh, there are networks of people who operate online to prey on vulnerable children, you know, kids in foster care, uh, children who are in families undergoing, you know, uh, major changes like divorce. They, they, they're, they're really considered vulnerable. And so I cannot drive home enough um, how important it is for communities, parents, educators, and others uh, to uh, ensure uh, that that guardians, parents, grandparents, and others uh, keep children safe online. Yeah, I appreciate you highlighting that topic. I mean, the threats are everywhere, right? They're physical, they're cyber, they're at the enterprise, they're, they're in our schools. You know, Dorothy, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. Oh, you're most welcome. It's, it's been a, a pleasure, and I thank you for the opportunity. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and to get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.